I had uh, sensed lately that I should do another uh, session on uh, finances and something along that line. And uh, someone asked me if I would teach on the difference between tithes and offerings. So that's what we're going to talk about today. The difference between tithes and offerings. So um, let's start out uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. And I'm going to read from uh, 11 to 13. We'll start there. This is the Lord's, you know, preparing them to enter the land. And he's given them some instructions. And he says, Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God, in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied. Then let's uh, skip down to verse 17. And thou say in thine heart, My power and the might of mine hand have gotten me this wealth. So God says, Don't say in your heart, It was my, uh, the power of my uh, hand and my might that got me this wealth. Verse 18, But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto thy fathers, as it is this day. There are two major purposes for Christians having wealth. One is God wants to establish his covenant in the earth. And this word establish here actually means continue. By continuing his covenant with us, uh, we're the spiritual seed of Abraham. And by putting finances into our hand to bring the gospel of Jesus around the world. That's one of the major reasons God wants Christians to have wealth. Uh, actually, in Romans 11, uh, one of the reasons for including born-again, non-Jewish uh, Gentiles, that's us, one reason for including us in the family of Abraham uh, as the descendant, we're the spiritual descendants of Abraham. The Jewish people are the natural descendants of Abraham. And one reason God included us in the family of Abraham on an evil footing with the Jews was to make the Jews jealous. And uh, 
I don't think we've been making very many Jewish people jealous, <laughs> you know, especially not in the area of finances. The, the Jewish people who know their covenant, they know they're supposed to be wealthy. They know that their uh, ancestors, uh, in, in the word of God, it, it, they're, you know, godly ancestors, they knew they were wealthy, and they knew God made them wealthy. And um, it's only us in, in the Western world, uh, you know, we don't even, most Christians don't even know what a covenant is, and we've been taught that we're supposed to be poor. And, uh, you know, Jewish, the, the Jewish people, they know they're not supposed to be poor. So, We've got to have mind renewal in this area. A second reason God wants Christians to have wealth is because he wants to bless you individually and personally because you are his child uh, and you're in that seed of Abraham. And the degree that we are blessed materially and financially is a reflection on God and, and uh, his goodness. So our material and financial blessing is a reflection on uh, God as a, as a provider, a good provider, and uh, a good shepherd of his flock. And I believe the Lord wants to use us in these end times as an evangelistic tool to show the world the goodness of God and, and cause them to desire what we have. And, let, and, and they will see the goodness of God in our lives and they'll start asking. They'll, they'll start asking and, and we can use this as a tool. So in the word uh, Old Covenant and New Covenant, God established a plan that would do two things. It would enable his work to be blessed and increase and it would allow his, obe his obedient people to also be blessed and increased uh, individually at the same time. And this plan operates according to strict natural and spiritual laws. And the plan is implemented utilizing the tithe and offering principles laid out in God's word. <clears throat> so today we're going to uh, We're going to, first of all, take up the tithe. The tithe is different from an offering in two ways. First of all, it is the property of the Lord and not the property of the people that bring it. Leviticus 27.30 And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land, or of the fruit of the tree is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. Now the word holy, don't get all religious about that. It just means set apart. Uh, something that's holy in the Bible means it's set apart for a specific purpose. And in this case, it's set apart for God. Malachi 3 verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me, but ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee in tithes and offerings? So God lays claim 
to the tithe. He says it, it's his. And we bring our tithe to the Lord as a demonstration of uh, appreciation, honor, uh, honesty, obedience. This is all part of it. The second way that a tithe is different from an offering is the amount of the tithe is determined by God, not us. The amount of the tithe is determined by God, not the person bringing it. And God has determined that the amount of the tithe is one-tenth. And specifically, it's the first one-tenth. The first one-tenth of all our increase belongs to the Lord. Now this principle of tithing was not just limited to Israel. It was practiced from Babylonia to Rome, probably for different reasons, you know, obviously for different reasons, but this wasn't something that was just limited to God and his people in Israel. Uh, it's first mentioned in the Bible in Genesis 14. Just turn back there to Genesis. It's not far. This is the first mention of the tithe in the Bible is Genesis 14. And uh, this is when Abram had just had a victory over the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he, he had taken all the spoils and the goods from that victory. And in verse 18, it says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, or Jerusalem, brought out bread and wine. Now this Melchizedek is an Old Testament type of Jesus. He was both king and priest. The Bible is silent as to his ancestry and there's no mention of his death. So in that respect, he's a type of Jesus as king and both king and priest who was alive forevermore. Verse 19, and he blessed him, Abraham, and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, Abram, gave him a tithe, one-tenth of all. So in appreciation to God for his victory, uh, in honor and respect of Melchizedek and his office as priest and king, and for his blessing upon Abram, Abram brought a tithe of all his spoils from this victory uh, to him. And this is what's important. Even when there was no requirement to do so, there was no requirement, no command to tithe at this point. Abram did this out of, uh, I believe, out of honor. He recognized uh, the hand, hand, God's hand upon him. I don't know if Abram knew that there were promises associated with the tithe or not. I don't know if he knew that. 
But in the covenant God made with him, Abraham believed that God had imparted a supernatural enablement and empower upon him to prosper and increase and be successful. Now, the covenant God made with Abraham, uh, God made 60 promises to him, 6-0, 60 promises. And of those 60, at least 13 of those promises include us, the, the Gentile, non-Jewish, born-again believers that were God engrafted into the seed of Abraham, the descendants of Abraham. The King James Version always says the seed of Abraham. That means the descendants. So at least 13 of these promises God made to Abraham also include us. Now if you just turn back a couple of pages, one of them is found in Genesis 12:3. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Don't worry too much about uh, these scriptures. I'm going to give you a handout at the end with a summary of a lot of these scriptures. But, um, you know, you can, you can jot them down, but don't... Uh, don't worry too much about catching every scripture. The other verse is over in Genesis 22:18. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Now Paul refers to this promise in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, where it says, And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, right here, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. Now this word bless in these two scriptures, uh, it means to empower, to prosper. And I believe that Abraham uh, brought the tithe of these spoils to the priest, acknowledging that God was the source of all his blessing and increase. When, when Christians don't tithe, I believe they fail to honor and acknowledge God as the source of all their blessing and increase. Uh, they're, they're saying, I'm a self-made man. You know, I, uh, I went to the right school. I studied hard. I made good grades. I know the right people. I have the right connections. You know, I work hard. I, 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 I. It's all, uh, it's all a self-centered attitude. Uh, and this is a little bit humorous, but in Leviticus 27:31, God has made provision uh, for the dishonest, greedy, and self-centered. Because in Leviticus 27.33, it says, And if a man will at all redeem aught of his tithes, he shall add thereto the fifth part thereof. What that means in plain English, if Christians withhold their tithe, or, or it, it, well, in the Old Testament, if, if someone wanted to buy back uh, their part or all of their tithe, they had to add 20% interest on top of the value of the tithe. So 
In plain English, this is saying for Christians that withhold their tithe, God's charging them 20% interest rate. He's a smart businessman, isn't he? <laughs> Amen. I thought that was quite humorous. So let's talk about the purpose of tithes and, off, of, and offerings, but first we're dealing with the tithe. The, uh, one of the main purposes of the tithe is to support the ministers and the work of God in general. Now in the Old Covenant, the ministers, or what we would call the preachers, were the priests and the Levites. The tribe of Levi were the, the ministers. Uh, that God appointed. There's lots of these scriptures and I'm only including two or three. We, we don't have time to go through all these, but I'm going to give you a few just examples. Numbers 18.21 And behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tenth in Israel for an inheritance, for their service when they serve, even the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. Now, as you remember, when Israel came into the promised land, it was divided up into 12 portions. Uh, God sliced it up to each of the 12 tribes. Except the tribe of Levi, God said, you're not getting the portion of the land. You're, you're not going to get any land for an inheritance. The other 11 tribes, they're all going to bring their tithes to you, and that's going to be your inheritance. So... That's the way God set it up. Second Chronicles 31, 5 and 6. And as soon as the commandment came abroad, the children of Israel brought in abundance the first fruits of corn, wine, and oil, and honey, and of all the increase of the field. And the tithe of all things brought they in abundantly. And concerning the children of Israel, and Judah, they dwelleth in the cities of Judah. They also brought in the tithe of oxen and sheep and the tithe of holy things, which were consecrated unto the Lord their God, and laid them up by heaps. Everybody say heaps. Yes. When everybody tithed, there was an abundance. And if all Christians tithe today, there would be no lack in any churches anywhere. It would be heaped up. Amen. Hallelujah. Notice that the tithes were brought to the house of the Lord. Uh, here in verse 5 it says, And the tithe of all things brought they in abundantly. They also brought in the tithe of the oxen and sheep and the tithe of holy things. Nehemiah 13, 12. Then brought all Judah the tithe of the corn and the new wine and the oil into the treasuries or the storehouses. Malachi 3, 10. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat or food and provision in mine house. Now, we're going to talk about the blessings associated with bringing our tithe to the Lord. Now, there are people 
who tried to split hairs over tithing today. <coughs> and they'll say, do I have to tithe? Now, <clears throat> really, this is not, when, when people start struggling over this, it's really not a money issue, it's a heart issue. And that's what God is looking at. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew 6, 21. And money is just an acid test that God uses to locate where people's heart is. And it's all about God being first in every area of our life. And if, if God is really first, uh, if he's really first place, uh, you know, people are not going to be splitting hairs over do I have to tithe. I mean, folks, we could not string one sentence together without God, much less do anything else. And people really have to ask, do I have to tithe? You know what I mean? Uh, we, we're, we're totally dependent on God for everything. He's the source of all blessing. So if a person, this, this is kind of the acid test in this, if a person is unwilling to put God first place where their money's concerned, they're probably unwilling and probably not putting God first place in other areas of their lives as well. So when you're faithful to return his tithe to him, you're establishing that, that you're honest because you're returning to God what already belongs to him, that you're obedient, that you're grateful, that you appreciate what God's done for you. Uh, you acknowledge that he is the source of all your blessing and increase. That's really what it's all about. And, and I, I'm not going to go into this, but I am going to say this. I believe one of the purposes of the tithe is to keep sin out of your life. Uh, now, I'm not going to elaborate on this, but if you go over into Deuteronomy uh, 26, uh, there are some things that we are supposed to say before God when we bring our tithe to Him. And I believe that was one of the purposes of the tithe, was to keep sin out of people's lives, because if you tithe according to scripture you can't sin at the same time you can't tithe according to the way god said and be in sin at the same time so i believe that was i mean you definitely never hear any sermons on that but i believe that was one of the purposes of the tithe now let's turn over to malachi 3 and we'll look at uh seven promises that are connected with when we bring our tithe to the Lord. Malachi 3, 3.10 Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there, there may be meat or food and provision in mine house. Now, storehouse and my house are the same. That's talking about the same thing. So wherever you are fed the word of God, the living God, the full gospel, that's where your tithe should go. Now that's going to eliminate some churches and ministries. 
the word meat and food, I believe, uh, refers to material as well as spiritual food. I believe if, if you know, if, when you're getting taught the, the full gospel, the living word that as you, you know, bring your tithe there, you, you, you put your tithe in there, God's going to see to it that you are well fed. And he's going to see to it that you continue to get spiritual food there. <clears throat> he goes on to say, Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. Now this is the only place uh, in the Bible where God says, Put me to the test. I dare you, put me to the test in the area of the tithe. This is what I will do for you. Now, the first thing he promises, I will open for you the windows of heaven. So since heaven is our source of all blessing increase, we need access to that. We need access to heaven because that's where our source of all blessing and increase is. And the windows of heaven are not open for everybody. They're only open to the tither. So this, this points out that uh, when we bring our tithe to the Lord, he says, I will open the windows of heaven. That means up until that point, they're closed. And so our tithe opens the windows of heaven and maintains an open heaven in all of our affairs. The NIV says, I will throw open the floodgates of heaven. The second promise, uh, I will pour you out a blessing. Now this blessing, as we said, it's God's endowment, supernatural endowment and enabling power to bring increase uh, and blessing and in everything that you put your hand to. Everything you put your hand to. And this is what uh, Deuteronomy 8.18 refers to as uh, the power to get wealth. It's this supernatural enablement that God brings into your life as a result of, of being faithful to bring your tithe before him. So our tithe connects us to what God promised Abraham. He said, I will bless uh, those that bless you. I'll curse those that curse you. And in all, um, you shall be blessed. And in you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And that includes us. We're the spiritual seed of Abraham. The third promise, he says, and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now, I, I talked about this a few weeks ago, if you remember. Uh, you'll notice here in verse 10, all those words there in the last two sentences, all those words that are italicized, those words were not in the original manuscript. Those italicized words were added at the discretion of the translators in an attempt to just complete the thought. And sometimes they get it and sometimes they, they kind of miss it. But in the Hebrew, what it actually says is, 
if you remove all those words, you're left with that not enough. And the word that can also be uh, translated until. Not is also translated without. And die, as in El Shaddai, means enough. So it means uh, until without enough. Until without enough. And it means until heaven is without enough. That's what it means. I will pour you out a blessing uh, until uh, what did I say? Until Heaven does not have enough. Well, that's never going to happen. Heaven's never going to run out. Heaven's never going to have not enough. Heaven's never going to have a shortage. So that's what it's saying. Until without enough. Until heaven is without enough. That's what it literally says in the Hebrew. Now the fourth thing he promises us in verse 11 and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Now as born again, spirit-filled believers, we know we have authority over the devil. We already have authority over the devil. But to the tither, God promises, I will personally rebuke the devourer for your sake, on your behalf. So the devil can have plans for you that you may never even know about. Because God rebuked the devourer for his sake and, and, and he foiled all the devil's plans to visit your household. So, so when, you, when we're faithful, consistent tithers, we, we, we have probably avoided so many disasters that we don't even know about. It never even got to us. Because God said, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. When we're faithful and, obe and obedient, to bring the Lord the first tenth of all of our increase, he, he puts this supernatural enablement and empowerment on the 90% that we get to keep. And that's why the 90% lasts longer and it goes far, further than if you had kept the entire 100%. If you had kept all of it. It, it, it wouldn't have gone as far. That's why instead of your car falling apart at 80,000 miles, it'll keep going at 250,000 miles. That's why your washing machine, instead of breaking down after five years, 10 years from now, it'll still be going. Yes. Amen? Yes. Amen. Hallelujah. The fifth, the fifth uh, promise and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Now your ground is whatever your assignment is, whatever is your livelihood. Doctor, lawyer, accountant, plumber, construction worker, taxi driver, whatever, that's your ground. That's, uh, what you, that's the work of your hands. That's what you, you put your hand to that God will increase and multiply. And the devil can't stop it. 
The sixth promise, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field. God not only promises to protect the fruit, he also promises to deal with the vine. So the vine will maintain that fruit and not allow it to drop off and rot before we can harvest it. It will, it will hold that fruit until we can harvest it and, and not allow it to drop off onto the ground and rot. Uh, the Common English Bible says, so that the vine doesn't abort its fruit in your field. So you'll experience God's timing in all of your affairs and, and they won't be aborted. Things, won't, things that need to happen won't be aborted. They'll all, they'll all come to pass at the set time in God's right timing. The Christian Standard Bible says, your vine in your field will not fail to produce fruit. Where could you ever get a better insurance policy than this? The seventh promise, and all nations shall call you blessed, for you shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. The Wycliffe translation says, And all folks shall say you are blessed, for ye shall be a desirable land, saith the Lord of hosts. Folks in your profession and your sphere of influence will see that you are blessed. They may just think that you're lucky. We're not lucky. We're the seed of Abraham. We are blessed. Amen? And God promises you will have a desirable land and you will have what non-tithers can only desire. You can experience what non-tithers can only desire. They may work hard, they may accumulate a lot of stuff, but the devourer can come in and destroy it and take it at any time. So, for non-tithers, God considers it personal robbery. Did I make a... No, I didn't. The Bible says they are under a curse of unproductive toiling. Uh, Haggai chapter 1 talks about uh, the people were putting their wages in bags with holes in it. You know, they, they put their, their wages in bags and, and it just fell out. And they, they thought, where did it go? You know, I, I just got paid yesterday. Where did it all go, you know? That's what happens. Windows of heaven are closed with no access to God's uh, blessing. No access to the source of all blessing. No access to God's supernatural empowerment or intervention in your affairs. For the non-tither, the door is open for the enemy to come in and devour and destroy your ground, your livelihood. And they disqualify themselves from being used by God in the area of finances because God uses people who are faithful in their finances. Now, is this just for the Jews? Uh, you will hear Christians say 
and the excuses that some Christians and church leaders use for not tithing, they will say, well, this was under the law of Moses, and we're under the new covenant. Uh, therefore, this doesn't apply to us, and therefore, we don't have to tithe. Now, it's true that God included the tithe in the law of Moses. That's true. He made it a requirement in the law of Moses. But we've already seen from Genesis 14 that the tithe was 430 years before the law of Moses ever even came into existence. So that debunks that argument. Abraham brought tithes to Melchizedek. And we are the spiritual seed of Abraham just as much as the Jews are the natural seed of Abraham. And we've been included in Abraham's family. So, you know, um, it's, it's true there may be churches and there may be entire denominations that don't believe in, t in tithing. They, they may say it's passed away, but it hasn't passed away in the Bible. And, and it's interesting how when people come across something in the Bible that's inconvenient, they just create this new doctrine that it passed away. And they do the same thing with healing, and they do the same thing with tongues. You know, they say, um, somebody decided that healing passed away. Somebody decided that tongues passed away. Somebody decided that tithing passed away. Well, that's not good enough. I want to see scripture. When did it pass away? Where did it pass away? Uh, how did it pass away? And who decided? You know, we've we got to have scripture. The Bible says it has not passed away. Now, in, in Acts 15, there was a similar type dispute that arose in the early church uh, where some Pharisees... Uh, some of the Pharisees who were believers in Jesus, they went to the new born-again Gentiles and they were teaching them that just faith in Jesus was not enough to be saved. That you also had to be circumcised and you also had to keep the law of Moses. And when Paul and Barnabas found out about this, they went back to Jerusalem and they had a meeting with the apostles and the elders and they said this is what's going on this is what these Pharisees have come in and they're teaching the new converts you have gotta make a decision about what we're gonna do about this and they did make a decision they decided no they do not have to be circumcised and they do not have to keep the law of Moses faith in Jesus alone is sufficient for salvation. Aren't you glad? <laughs> Aren't you glad they made that decision? We don't have to live under the law of Moses and all that. Praise God. So the point is, a decision this major about, uh, you know, whether or not uh, circumcision and keeping the law of Moses was going to be applicable to New Testament Christians, we have it recorded in the Bible where they, they made that decision. Well, if somebody made the decision that tithing passed away in the New Covenant as well, it should be recorded in the Bible somewhere. And there is no scripture 
that provides a substitute program for tithing in the New Testament. I believe the reason it's not brought up is because they just assumed it would carry on. There was no reason to, to even bring up the question. Everybody, I mean, the first born-again people were Jewish people. They knew about tithing. It never crossed their mind that they would ever stop tithing. I believe that's why it's not mentioned. Now let's talk about the tithe in the New Testament. Jesus personally endorsed the practice of tithing. Uh, although you could say technically, Jesus ministered to people under the Old Covenant. Those people were not born again yet. Technically, they were under the Old Covenant. But in Matthew 23, 23, Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Now the Pharisees were meticulous about tithing. I mean, they would pour out a hundred leaves of mint, and they would meticulously count out ten leaves and put them on the side and say, that's God's tithe. They would, you know, sugar, salt, whatever. They would meticulously count out a hundred grains of salt and, and they would move 10, piece, 10 grains of salt over here and say, that's God's tithe. I mean, they were so, so, uh, yeah, yeah, legalistic about things like this. And Jesus was saying, yes, you should tithe, not as a matter of the, of the law, but you should also not ignore these major principles of morality. So um, Jesus had plenty of opportunities before and after the cross to address tithing. If it was not going to be included in the New Testament churches, you would have thought Jesus would have instructed the disciples somewhere because they were going to carry on his work. They were going to go on to set up the New Testament churches. And, and before Jesus left, you know, I'm sure he had his, his list, okay, this is what i got to tell these guys before I leave here, you know. Uh, you know, and he, we have a lot of it recorded, you know, in, in Mark 16 and Matthew 28. And at no point did Jesus ever say, oh, by the way, when you set up these new churches in the New Testament, you can forget about tithing. That, that's done away with. He, he had plenty of opportunities to address this, and he did not. There's no scripture for it. Now, there are uh, uh, quite a lot of other scriptures in the New Testament that indirectly, you could say, relate to the tithe, including the teachings of Paul, that pertain to the support of ministers, the spreading of the gospel, the teaching of the word, and the work of God in general. But I'm not going into all those. Uh, just for time's sake, I, I, I think we're, we're hitting the high points here. But there's one scripture I do want you to turn to. Hebrews 7, verse 8. Hebrews 7, verse 8. 
in the, the first part of the chapter here, we get the repeat of Genesis 14, 18 to 20, where Abraham brought his tithes to Melchizedek. Um, and in verse 8, it says, And here, men that die, in other words, natural human men, receive tithes. But there he receiveth them, of whom it is witnessed that he liveth. Now this verse is indisputable evidence that, there, that tithing was taking place in the New Testament. The word here, H-E-R-E, that doesn't just mean here on earth or here in this lifetime. In the Greek, it means here in this same spot. That's how specific it is. Here in this same spot. It would be like me saying here in the Holiday Inn in this room, October 27, 2018. That's how specific it is. It means right here in this place. And it means right here in this place at this, where the Hebrews were meeting, in that place, that exact spot, ties were being given and received by men. So this is indisputable evidence that ties were being brought and received in the New Covenant. Now some people tithe in fear. They're afraid if they don't tithe, something terrible is going to happen to them. But that's not the attitude we should have when we tithe. We should be like Abraham. This is supposed to be an act of gratitude. This is remembering all the blessing and increase and all the goodness of God in our lives. And we honor him and we acknowledge him as the source of all our blessing and increase. Without him, we wouldn't have any increase. There would be no increase without him. So that's the attitude we're supposed to bring our tithe to, to God with, not in fear that something terrible is going to happen if we don't tithe. We tithe in faith. As New Covenant believers, we follow the steps of our uh, father in the faith, Abraham. And we also honor and acknowledge and demonstrate our appreciation to God. <clears throat> Excuse me by bringing our tithe unto our faithful high priest, Jesus. So we have a summary of the tithe. It was before the law of Moses. Now I've got scripture for all this, but I didn't include it here just for space. You're going to get it on a handout later. And are those words on the handout? Yeah. Yeah, and plus the scriptures. I just didn't have room for scriptures here. It was before the law of Moses. It belongs to the Lord, not the giver. Purpose is to support the ministry and work of God in general. It's evidence of honesty, obedience, and appreciation of God's blessing. And it's a heart issue, really, not a money issue. Now, let's turn to offerings. An offering is different from the tithe in two ways. 
The amount of an offering is determined by the giver. We determine the amount of the offering. God determines the amount of the tithe, not us. An offering, we get to determine that amount. God leaves it up to the giver. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. The Amplified says, you should each give then as you have decided. So an offering is no set amount. The second way an offering differs from a tithe is one of the main purposes of offerings is to get money into your hands. Not just to bless the house of God, but to bless you, God's people individually. That's one of the main purposes of offerings. Luke 6.38, give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet withal, it shall be measured to you again. The Living Bible says, Whatever measure you use to give, large or small, will be used to measure what is given back to you. The Voice Translation. You'll receive in the same measure you give. The Passion. Your measurement of generosity becomes the measurement of your return. So the measure we use when we give offerings is the measure God uses to multiply back to us. And that's different from the tithe because the tithe is already belongs to God and we're just returning to him what already belongs to him and as a result of that all those promises we talked about God says these are all the promises I'm going to do for you because you've been faithful to return what belongs to me. But, but offerings, um, we determine the amount, and offerings are what God uses to multiply back to us. Tithes are not multiplied back to us in a harvest. That's just returning to God what's his. Offerings are what God multiplies back to us 30, 60, 100 fold. And Jesus refers to this measure in Mark chapter 4 in the parable of the sower. And the context there was the word of God, but the same principle uh, also is true concerning offerings. The disciples' literal New Testament says, with what measure you measure, it will be measured to you. And Jesus went on to say there, some seed fell on good ground and increased, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. So these are all measures. Now, everything you give over and above the tithe is an offering. Everything you give over and above the tithe, by definition, is an offering. And this is the measure that we get to decide that God uses to multiply back to us in the form of blessings. 
So, when we measure by the teaspoonful, we can expect 30, 60, up to 100 teaspoonfuls back. If we give by the shovelful, we can expect 30, 60, up to 100 shovels full back. When we give by the dump truck load, we can expect 30, 60, 100 dump trucks to drive up to our house. Amen? That's the measure. And we get to decide it. Now, Paul talks about this measure in 2 Corinthians 9, 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. And he said in Philippians 4 to the Philippian believers, he said, no other church communicated with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. And because of that, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So Paul referred to this measure. Now the Old Testament counterpart of this is Proverbs 11, 24, 25. There is that scattereth and yet increaseth. And there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. Same principle. Now, you remember we read in Malachi 3.8, God said, Will a man rob God? Wherein have we robbed you? And he said, In tithes and offerings. Tithes and offerings. Now, it's easy to see why God would consider uh, not bringing the tithe to him as robbery because it's his in the first place. But why would God consider... Uh, not giving tithe offerings to be robbery. Well, for one reason, it robs God of the pleasure of being able to bless us. And that's major on God's heart. It robs him of the pleasure of blessing us. You like to bless your kids? It gives you joy and pleasure when you're in a position to bless your kids. Well, God's no different. In... Uh, Psalm 35, 27. Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. The Passion Translation says, But let all my true friends shout for joy, all those who know and love what I do for you. Let them all say, the Lord is great, and he delights in the prosperity of his servant. So, secondly, if we don't give offerings, we're also robbing ourselves of the finances that we need. Now, what makes up a scriptural offering? Let's turn to Matthew 5, and I want to deal with uh, one thing here. Matthew 5. Now this may surprise a lot of people, 
But God doesn't necessarily have to receive every offering. And I'll clarify that here. Now it's true that most churches and ministries will not refuse an offering. <laughs> They're going to take it, you know what I mean? But that doesn't necessarily mean it's acceptable to God. Now, we're not going to turn there, but if you go back and if, if you read all of Malachi, it's just four little chapters. It doesn't take long to read it. But in Malachi chapter 1, these people were so backslidden that they were bringing to God junk that they called tithes and offerings, and it was unacceptable to God. And God called the preachers up on the carpet about it. And he read them the riot act about this, and they were so backslidden, they denied the whole thing. So what, what, when did we pollute your table? When did we speak evil of you? When did we do this? When did we do that? They were in God's face denying the whole thing. That's how backslidden these people were. But I, but, uh, I do want to look at this one example from the New Testament, Matthew 5, 22. An offering acceptable to God must be free from strife and discord. Matthew 5, we're going to look at it right here. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Now this is the t verses I want you to get. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar. I have that. If thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. So an acceptable offering to God must be free from strife and discord. Now I've heard on the very, very, very rare occasion where a ministry returned a check or an offering to someone and it was because they were personally aware that these people were not in agreement about giving it. One person wanted to give it to the ministry and the other one didn't. And it's just because they happened to have personal knowledge about it, they sent the check back to them and said, when you all can get an agreement with this, then, then bring it and we'll receive it. But folks, that is extremely rare. And I mean, in an assembly of people, you're not going to have personal knowledge about these things. Uh, only God and the individual would, would know anything about that. Uh, Romans 12, verse 8, 18 says, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. 
Now here's some other requirements for a scriptural offering. Number two, it must be cheerfully given. We're not going to turn to all these scriptures for the sake of time, but I've given scriptures. It must come from a willing heart. You must have a willing mind. Let what you have guide your giving, not what you don't have. So let the goodness of God motivate your giving, uh, thanksgiving for what the Lord's done for you. That's what should motivate, motivate your giving, not what you don't have. Give in proportion to your need. Give quality seed for a quality harvest. In other words, if you don't want junk coming back to you, don't give junk. You know, if, if you believe in for another car and you're selling yours, like Mika just sold hers recently, she made sure that thing was spotless. And I mean it was pristine condition. Because whatever you give, that's what you're going to get back. So if you don't want some broken down car coming back to you, then, you know, you don't give some, or for you don't worn out clothes, then you don't give worn out clothes to somebody else. It's the same principle. You want quality seed, uh, quality harvest, you got to plant quality seed. Um, we're on number eight. Uh, the measure of your gift determines the measure of your harvest. And we've already looked at that. Now, some people look at this and they'll say, well, you know, if I don't have much to give, then that's a little offering and that means I'm not going to get much in return. No, that's not what that means. This is the good news here, is that the measure is not determined about by how much you give. It's determined by what you have left. God's looking at how much you have left after you give, not at the money size. So you, you, if you don't have a whole lot to give out of, when you give, you've given a significant measure. And the example we have uh, that, of that in Mark 12 is the widow's mite. That woman only gave a few pennies, and Jesus said, this woman's given more than everybody here. And all the wealthy people were throwing in hundreds and thousands, but that was just pocket change for them. It wasn't a significant, uh, in proportion to what they had, it wasn't significant, even though it was hundreds and thousands. And Jesus said, this lady that's put a few pennies in, she outstripped all of you. So that's the good news about offerings is that uh, the size of the, the offering is not necessarily, the, the amount is not what determines whether it's a, a, you're sowing uh, sparingly or abundantly. Amen. So that's good news. So summary of tithing, of offering, sorry. Summary of offerings. Offering is money or anything that you value over and above the tithe that you freely give to the Lord or to bless someone else. Offerings are free will. It's up to us what we give in an offering. 
One of the main purposes for offerings is to enable God to put finances in your hands. The measure we use to give is the measure God uses to multiply back to us. If we don't give offerings, it robs God of the pleasure of being able to bless us. And if we don't give offerings, it robs us of the finances we need. And we must give scripturally in order for our offering to be acceptable to God. Amen?